region's artists, artisans, makers, and craftsmen at Catskills Curated. NarrowsburgUnion.com Hello, 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 and welcome to The Local Edition, news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Thursday, Patricia Robayo. In the second half of the show, we'll be checking in with Terry Grafmuller, the president of the Liberty Rotary, and find out why he and other people are jumping into White Lake this weekend. It's cold. It's Thursday on the Local Edition. And we'll be checking in with Wayne County in just a little bit. But before that, Governor Kathy Hochul is considering her options after members of her own Democratic Party in the Senate Judiciary Committee voted down her choice for the next Chief Judge of the State. Here's Karen DeWitt. All in favor of advancing the nomination, Senator Thomas. Senator Sepulveda. Just two of 13 Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee voted for Hochul's nominee for Chief Judge Hector LaSalle following a five-hour hearing. Ten voted no, and one Democrat joined the six Republicans on the committee to vote to advance LaSalle's name, but without a recommendation. LaSalle, the presiding justice of a mid-level appeals court based in Brooklyn, was formerly an assistant district attorney on Long Island. Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stort Cousins is ready to move on. She says the Senate has fulfilled its constitutional role in the confirmation process, and Governor Hochul needs to begin that process again and find a nominee that everyone can agree on. The nomination was lost, and uh, I'm hoping that we can move forward and really work to find the chief judge that is reflective of the majority of what the conference, what New Yorkers expect in a chief judge. But Hochul does not appear ready to leave the defeat behind. Speaking on Thursday, she says the vote was unfair because the outcome was predetermined after 14 Democratic senators said in advance that they would not back LaSalle because they viewed him as too conservative. And she says the deck was stacked against him after the Senate added four more members to the Judiciary Committee, three of whom said they opposed LaSalle. I think if you look at the original composition of that committee before it was changed, there were enough votes to go forward. You'd have to question why there was unexpectedly four more votes added to that committee. Hochul believes that even though the committee rejected LaSalle, the state's constitution requires that the nominee face a floor vote by all 63 senators. Former Chief Judge Jonathan Littman, a supporter of LaSalle, agrees. This matter has to go to the Florida Senate by the constitution and by the enabling legislation. There's no question about it. Senate Leader Stuart Cousins says it should come as no surprise to the governor or to anyone else that some senators were opposed to the nominee. Twenty Democratic senators wrote Hochul a letter as early as last summer. They said they wanted her to choose someone who was not a former prosecutor and who would help change the direction of the increasingly conservative high court back to the left. Conference is looking for someone who would change the trajectory of the court. And that was stated even before this nominee. And Stuart Cousins says the Judiciary Committee was expanded because more senators were interested in joining it in the wake of recent controversial U.S. Supreme Court rulings. 
Hochul has indicated that she might take the matter to court to try to force a full Senate vote. The Buffalo News reports she's making arrangements to hire outside counsel to help with that effort. But Hochul says she hasn't yet decided. We're certainly weighing all of our options. I think yesterday was an opportunity for all New Yorkers to listen to an exceptionally qualified jurist. Judiciary Chair Brad Hoylman-Siegel says he, like the Senate leader, believes his House has fulfilled its constitutional duty. He says it would be a travesty for Hochul to launch a court battle. To have a a constitutional crisis seems to be not in anyone's interest. The dispute comes as Hochul is preparing to detail her agenda announced in her State of the State message earlier this month in her budget proposal. It includes plans to build 800,000 new housing units over the next several years, invest heavily in the mental health system, and link the state's minimum wage to the rate of inflation. Senator Hoyleman Siegel, along with the other Democrats in the chamber, say they strongly support those proposals, and they hope that the fight over the judge doesn't get in the way of achieving those goals. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Thank you so much, Karen DeWitt, for that. And thank you so much for the public radio exchange. Take a look at what's happening in the New York News Connection. The U.S. Green Building Council released its 2022 list of top 10 states for the Green Building. And New York ranked third. Edwin Vieira has more. New York ranked third on a list of the top 10 states for green buildings in the U.S. The report from the U.S. Green Building Council finds 142 projects in New York were LEED certified in 2022, equaling 3.17 million square feet. According to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, green building is the creation of structures that are environmentally responsible and resource efficient during the building's life. These projects consist of schools, office buildings, and residential homes and apartment buildings. One notable project in New York is Terminal 4 at JFK International Airport, which was recertified as LEED Platinum status. Monique Owens with the U.S. Green Building Council describes why this project has been a leader in green buildings. That project was LEED certified platinum, and that was a recertification. So initially in 2017, the Terminal 4 became the first existing airport in the U.S. to receive LEED gold certification by USGPC for operations and maintenance. Other LEED certified airport terminals are located at international airports in Atlanta, Boston, and San Francisco. New York is working to incorporate more environmental friendliness into construction projects. In early 2022, Governor Kathy Hochul announced a plan to build more than 2 million climate-friendly homes in the state. With many states establishing plans and goals to combat climate change, Owens feels green building can be a crucial tool in developing more climate-smart infrastructure. Although 2022 saw a high number of projects and plenty of growth, there's still room for improvement. Owens says potential for other states to improve their rankings begins at the local level. I'm Edwin J. Vieira, New York News Connection. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Thank you so much, Edwin Vieira, for that. It's Thursday on the local edition. And every Thursday, we check in with Wayne County. This month, we take a look at the Wayne Economic Development Corp, which partners with entities and their approach to economic development is collaborative, dynamic, thoughtful, and inventive. WEDCO, which is the Wayne Economic Development Corp, is a 501c nonprofit corporation comprised of businesses in partnership with the state, county, and municipal governments. Here to tell us more is the executive director for the Wayne Economic Development Corp, Mary Beth Wood. Mary Beth, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for um, asking me. Um, 
I gave a very brief uh, introduction of what WETCO is all about. Uh, what are some of the traditional functions of WETCO? When we think economic development, we are generally talking in terms of building infrastructures, developing sites, uh, working with individual businesses to help them grow. And, and these are all things that WEDCO does currently, and I hope much more than that as well. So traditional economic development generally has us in that area of work, but think predominantly in terms of, of system developments and infrastructure development. Uh, can you tell us more about some of the tools they use to assist businesses? Uh, certainly. Uh, one, let's look first at the regional level. Regionally and within all of Pennsylvania, there are, there is the PREP network and that's P-R-E-P. But this PREP partnership really is made up of all of the service providers that touch economic development within a community. Those service providers include our University of Scranton Small Business Development Center, NEPA Alliance, uh, the uh, Northeast Industrial Resource Center, Ben Franklin Technology Partners, and all of the local EDCs or economic development corporations. And I, I think on the local level, folks don't know that there is actually a regional collaboration and WEDCO would be that entree point or point of entry into the network for anyone in Wayne County. Each county would have its EDC. But so on the regional level, we've got a fully robust partnership and then locally, we have a number of tools that we use to assist businesses. Uh, one would be the Wayne County Economic Growth Fund, which is a local grant program that we could help with business development projects here. Do you work with any other economic groups as far as like partnership, uh, sharing ideas? Uh, I know obviously there is some competition, but, but for the businesses, but I, I like in some counties like Sullivan County does work with like Orange County Economic Group uh, in, in when it comes to thinking about regional ideas. Absolutely. You know, our primary focus here is Wayne County and making sure that we're supporting our business and community here. But we all work together. You know, bottom line is we're, we're working in partnership to try to advance our economy. So there's a lot of regional initiatives, regional partnering. Uh, we work very closely with our four counties that make up the, the Pocono region. So, Yes, there is that friendly competition in one way. We've got to work and make sure our, our counties are advanced, but we absolutely rely on each other too in, in regional partnerships and, and activities. How does the Storebridge Project Business Incubator and the Sterling Business and Technology Park fit it into this whole uh, picture with WETCO? Sure. These are strategic. Uh, this is strategic initiatives. You know, when we look at the business incubator and we look at the business park that's been under development for a while, both of these are to address uh, strategies to advance certain industries. One of the things we look at without getting too deep is what is our industry composition within the county? And the number of businesses you have in different industries really help you look at your, your bottom line of your economics. So, for example, on the state level, about 9% of most counties' employment is in manufacturing. And here in Wayne County, we only had about 3.4% before we started the business park. So developing that key infrastructure or, or enabling infrastructure that will start to drive business development in certain industries is, is part of what we do. Same with the Storebridge Project. We know that we did not have uh, nearly the industry that we would like to have in technology-related businesses. So we put in a business incubator that helps focus and support that industry. So both of them are very strategic 
endeavors to move or alter that industry composition within our county. And uh, how long have you been uh, a part of uh, Wayne Economic Development Corp? Well, I started here in 2001 and became the executive director in 2006. And uh, it, the time is just flying. It's hard to believe it's been almost 21 years. Oh, wow. And how has your, your role evolved over time? Well, I think in general, not only in our organization, but countywide, we started to move economic development from just our entity alone to the the guiding principle that economic development is everyone's responsibility. We all have a role within it. And that has helped foster and augment the Wayne Tomorrow Initiative, which is going gangbusters within the, the county. So we still work within our our area, which is that infrastructure, building systems, working on broadband or pipe expansion. But we also collaborate with many, many entities within the county to to really have an economic ecosystem. So we're involved in workforce. We look at quality of life. We look at uh, financial resources and that sort of thing. So it has, we're the same, but we've expanded, I guess. That's the best answer I could give you. <laughs> you listed some examples already, but how does the relationship between Wetco and Wake County work? Okay, so we have a, we could look at that in a couple of ways. One, Wetco is a, a separate 501c6 nonprofit membership organization. So we are our own entity with our own program of work. However, when we look at the county as a whole, as an ecosystem, we now plug into this full partnership of people working together. Our relationship with Wayne County, meaning our county commissioners, is fantastic. Uh, they're extremely supportive of us. We work hand in hand. Uh, we are on the phone or texting constantly. So it's not one of those one or two times go into your year, to the county and, and look for, you know, budget or resources or things like that. We are, we are really a full partnership uh, with the county, but also many, many other entities within the, the community. Mary Beth, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on Do you want our listeners to know about? Well, I think, uh, you know, it would be another session, but there's a lot happening in Wayne County. I think Wayne County's rocking right now. You know, we, we certainly felt the the effects of the pandemic, uh, both negative, but there are positive. I look at our per capita income and our percentage in relationship to the state is the highest I've seen it in the 21 years. So things are moving those wages up. Uh, we know we have a housing uh, study underway through Wayne tomorrow to look at, you know, housing and, and how we could address that. We're trying to build some infrastructure. We've got a building in our business park that we expect to put up this year, a 33,600-square-foot facility, which will give us some inventory. So I think, you know, we've all had the, the negative pressures of the pandemic. Because of our proximity to the urban areas, this is a place that people are looking at. You know, downtown Homestead is doing a, a large streetscape project. The town is hustling, um, bustling. So I think there's some positive indicators here as well. Uh, but I think bottom line, if you're doing business development in Wayne County, contact us. We'll see if we can help you in any way. I know for outside of the river and here in Sullivan County, we were just recently speaking to a reporter about the growth that's happened during the pandemic of a lot of folks coming up from the city and establishing roots here, buying homes or, uh, you know, making their life here full time if they were a weekender. And we, we talked about the the expectations some people have, they were sort of used to a sort of lifestyle, used to having restaurants, things to do. And if they're not finding it here, they're creating it. And so there was an influx not only of people, but also more money 
in the county as far as like uh, folks who want to do stuff and and be participants in other things. Do, are you finding that on your side of the river that there is uh, an economic boom uh, because folks are moving into the area? I think so. You know, we had a, a similar situation back in, you know, with 9-11 in 2001, where we had a great influx of folks. And, you know, some analysis showed that maybe three years later, we did not really have a long-term benefit from that. Because similar to what you said, you know, people were looking for certain type of jobs here, housing, etc. I think it's different now. You know, we had the pandemic. It is driving folks to look here, but we've got technology, remote working, a lot of different things. But I also think um, our small towns, uh, the infrastructure we are putting in, people want to live here, and now they're they're bringing the resources here. So we are experiencing that. We have people coming in all the time. With startups, our job, both in, in WEDCO and our countywide partnerships in Wayne Tomorrow, is to make sure that we can leverage and capture those benefits and keep them more than two or three or four years. So I, I think a lot is going on. A lot of thought is going on into that. Uh, but we welcome everybody here, and, and hopefully we can address a new business startup and help them. To learn more about the Wayne Economic Development Corp., visit wayneeconomic.com. We're talking to Mary Beth Wood, the Executive Director for Wayne Economic Development Corp. Mary Beth, thank you so much for joining us on the program. And thank you so much again for asking. Have a great day. We'll be right back to talk to the President of the Liberty Rotary and find out why he is jumping into the lake this weekend. It's the White Lake, the cold, winter, icy lake. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. I'm Ira Plato. On Science Friday, we wonder about the secrets of nature and meet the scientists finding the keys to the universe, like Black Hole Maven Jan 11. I think it's really important as a scientist not to put a belief system first. The whole point is to explore the unknown. Come explore with us. It's all on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Fridays, 2 to 4 p.m. on Radio Catskill. I'm Aaron Bendich. Join me for Borscht Beat, the Jewish music show on Radio Catskill. Each week I share rare, forgotten, and classic recordings from Jewish musical traditions across multiple generations. From Yiddish folk songs to instrumental klezmer, Yiddish theater, and contemporary performances. It's a grand tour of many musical landscapes. That's Borscht Beat, an hour of Jewish music in the Catskills, Sunday afternoons at 1 on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Thursday, Patricia Robayo. An estimated 6.5 million Americans aged 65 and older are living with Alzheimer's in 2022. And this Saturday, members of the Liberty Rotary Club will be jumping into the freezing waters of White Lake. They're doing this to order to raise money to help combat this horrible disease. The T 
team's called Strikeout Alzheimer's and is part of the Hudson Valley chapter of the Alzheimer's Association Sub-Zero Heroes. The main event is happening in Ulster County, but this year, working with White Lake Fire Company, they're holding a pre-jump in White Lake called Sullivan Freeze for a Cure. It's happening this Saturday at noon. On the phone with us now is the president of the Liberty Rotary Club, Terry Grackmuller. Terry, welcome back to the program. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. This is our 11th year of jumping in the water for Alzheimer's, our, our team. Wow. Well, Terry, will you be one of the folks jumping into the freezing waters this weekend in White Lake? No, I, I definitely will jump in not only this Saturday, but on February 25th at the uh, Alzheimer's event over in Highland. Right. So, like I said, this what's happening on Saturday is a pre-event is to help raise awareness. So can you talk about that, about what's happening this Saturday and how it relates to uh, the main event that's happening in Ulster County? Absolutely. Our our team that's been jumping in Highland for the Alzheimer's Association for this fundraiser have been jumping for 11 years. Uh, my wife and I actually have been jumping for nine years. Uh, last year, we were the second highest money earner of all the counties that are involved in that jump, and that's Ulster, Duchess, uh, Orange. So we brought in almost $10,000 as a team last year. What we decided to do this year was have a pre-jump to try to raise awareness in Sullivan County because nobody really goes over to Highland and watches us jump in the water. It's a, it's a pretty quick run event with not a lot of parking. So people that we collect money from here can't really go watch. So we thought if we held one in White Lake, White Lake with the, you know, the graciousness of the White Lake Fire Department divers and, and going in the water and standing there to make sure that we all get back out of the water. Uh, this was a great way to let people know what we do, maybe take donations. Uh, there are people that are going to show up, I think, and just jump because they want to. Uh, we're asking if they want to leave a donation, they can, but they don't have to. Just sign a waiver and they can jump. Terry, you're jumping in the water this Saturday. What does it mean for you to be able to help raise money to fight this horrible disease? Well, my best friend died from this disease. Uh, and, and by the way, it's not just Liberty Rotary jumping. There's four members of Liberty Rotary Club jumping, but we have 10 people jumping from various groups throughout the county. One owns a construction business. Uh, one is took care of her mother when she was passing away. She's a retired county employee. Uh, so we have several people jumping, and, and most of them have been touched by this disease in some way, if not through a direct family member. You know, through a very close friend. Uh, in the first year we jumped in, in 2014, my wife and I, the event raised $100,000 in one day. And, and I don't see any walks wow. that raise that kind of money. People are definitely willing to donate money uh, for you to do something a little bit crazy. <laughs> so it's a, it's a great event to raise money for the for the cause. Absolutely. I mean, now I, I think more and more. You can't find can't find anybody who has not been touched in some capacity from this horrible disease. You have you mentioned that you have four members of the Liberty Rotary Club joining you for this uh, jump into White Lake. Who else is joining you? Who else is joining you in this cold jump? Well, it's not really organization. It's just personal, you know, people that either in private industry, you know, private business. But we our team is called Strike Out Alzheimer's. And we, I wear a bowling ball costume, and they all wear bowling pins. So for the first year ever, we have actually 10 pins and a bowling ball uh, going in the water. They might not all ah, bowling right. pins. So we're, we're strikeout all-timers. Now, I'm, I'm asking my team. I'm not asking my team to jump twice. So some people that 
do jump this Saturday might not jump in Highland. They will attend with us for, for photo opportunities, but they might not all go in the water. I'm going to jump twice. My wife is going to jump twice. Uh, several of us are going to jump twice, but we're not asking everybody to jump twice that's on our team. It's a little bit, you know, you're still warming up from the, the 21st event before you go to the 25th of February. So it's cold. I can imagine. I have never done this. I, I only experience cold water in the shower when like the heat goes or the power goes and we have cold water. How does it feel to jump into a water that's freezing cold like this? The pain the pain is hard to explain, but it doesn't last long because you jump in. I go under, always get my head underwater, sit on the bottom more or less, jump back out. All you want to do is get those clothes off your body because that's what's ice cold. One year when we jumped, it was 14 below zero with the wind chill. So even harder than jumping is standing in line waiting to jump because you you then have taken off all of your warm clothes and now you're in your bathing suit, your water shoes, and your costume. Uh, so you want to get in the water, get out, and get changed. That's that's the priority. But it's it's not it doesn't affect your breathing or your heart or your it's just cold. <laughs> it's just like body pain if you just want to get out. So uh, once you know what it is, you know what to expect. It's not life threatening. Uh, the the biggest worry is a little disorientation when you come up out of the water and your 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 brain might not be caught up with what your body should be doing. <laughs> you know, sometimes the diver has to give you a little push to get you up to the shore. You know? And then taking a look at the weather that's, ha- uh, that's on Saturday, it looks like you guys are going to have like perfect weather. It's going to be sort of uh, cloudy, sunny a little bit, but uh, it's going to be cold. So uh, definitely like the highs of things windy. Only 37. Yeah. And windy. Wow. So that's even going to add to it. The fire department has an equipment building right down on the water, which we'll be able to go into and change. Because that's, the, like I said before, you want to get those wet, ice-cold clothes off you as soon as possible. So that's an advantage. What we do it in Highland, we have to walk quite a ways up two hills before we get to a to a changing trailer. So Yeah, that could definitely see, uh, it's a good benefit to be jumping in into White Lake to have that space there. Uh, Terry, if folks want to help out, make the donations, get more information, where can they go? If you go to uh, just Google sub 2023 Sub-Zero Heroes, up will come the event. And you can scroll down and find our team, which is Strikeout Alzheimer's. Click on that, and every member of our team is listed there with a donation button next to each person or a team donation. So that's the easy way to, to contribute. Uh, if you're at the event, we'll accept whatever you give us at the event on Saturday. We'll take checks, cash. Uh, we'll direct you to the website if necessary, you know, from there. However, However, it's easier for the people that want to contribute. Now, uh, Terry, since I have you on the phone, uh, what else is the Liberty Rotary uh, working on in this early new year? Uh, Well, we continue to deliver single-bite meals on Thursdays in Liberty, and uh, one of us takes care of picking up meals in Youngsville on Wednesdays to take over to South Fallsburg to help out with their single-bite meals. Uh, Our own, excuse me, Joe Abraham is, is the chair of the Hummingbird Committee, which is a local award that we give out to several community members uh, for doing their part to help things, to help people. It doesn't mean they have to do everything. It just means they have to do something. Uh, So that's going to be coming up probably in March. Uh, Joe hasn't actually set the date yet. The Heartathon is the biggest thing right now that we're supporting. Uh, We've got all the hearts in the stores. Uh, We're going to be selling hearts at the casino the weekends leading up to the Heartathon and the day of the Heartathon. Uh, there's going to be an event at, at the Alder at Toscados with, uh, with a reduced drinks and, uh, donations accepted for the Heartathon. So that's, uh, that's really the next upcoming big event that we're doing. We were talking to Terry Grafmuller, 
president of the Liberty Rotary. Him and a few of his Rotarians will be jumping into the freezing waters of White Lake to help raise money to fight Alzheimer's. Terry, thank you so much for joining us on the program, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And that does it for the local edition. Thank you to my first guest, Mary Beth Wood from the Wayne Economic Development Corp. Letting us know what's happening in Wayne. We'll be back tomorrow. We're talking to Chris Raleigh from the Schwankook Journal. Letting us know what's happening in Ulster County in Ellenville. And we also will be talking to a poet, Arlo. By walking in the woods with poetry. This is all happening tomorrow on the local edition at 6.30. If you ever miss a show, we have a podcast. You can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Google, Apple, Stitcher. Search for WJFF, the local edition. Subscribe, share it, and tell your friends. Find us on social media. We're at WJFF Radio Catskill. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Visit our website, wjffradio.org slash the local edition. You can find upcoming guests, see past guests, and listen to the show. You've been listening to The Local Edition. I've been your host, Patricia Robayo. Have a good night, Lucy. This is Radio Casco, your NPR station, WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support comes from the Homestead School, Montessori Education, preschool through early college with campuses in Glens Bay and Hurleyville, building the intelligence, creativity, connection, and skills for an ecological future since 1978. Homesteadschool.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York. Riverreporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania.